food bloggers. Hi, how are you today? Thank you so much for tuning in to the Eat Blog Talk podcast. This is the place for food bloggers to get information and inspiration to accelerate your blog's growth and ultimately help you to achieve your freedom, whether that's financial, personal, or professional. I'm Megan Porta, and I've been a food blogger for over 12 years. I understand how isolating food blogging can be at times. I'm on a mission to motivate, inspire, and most importantly, let each and every food blogger, including you, know that you are heard and supported. If you're anything like me, the writing portion of being a blogger is kind of just a necessity that I don't give a whole lot of intentional thought to. And this is not necessarily the right attitude to have about writing. But Sabrina Curry joins me in this episode. She is a food blogger and she's also a writer for a magazine. So she has a couple really unique perspectives on the whole writing front. She provides some encouragement in this episode about how to write our blog posts in a clear, concise way, certain things to think through that the user will really like, ways to show our personalities without writing a novel, and the importance of being accurate with our writing and our facts and our recipes. I hope you are inspired by this episode to dig into writing in a new way. It is episode number 411, sponsored by Rank IQ. Hey, awesome food bloggers. Before we dig into this episode, I have a really quick favor to ask you. Go to your favorite podcast player, go to eBlogTalk, scroll down to the bottom where you see the ratings and review section. Leave eBlogTalk a five-star rating if you love this podcast and leave a great review. This will only benefit this podcast. It adds value. And I so very much appreciate your efforts with this. Thank you so much for doing this. Okay, now on to the episode. Sabrina Curry from Sabrina Curry's Kitchen Garden, started her career in food right after high school by attending cooking school. She worked in a few restaurants, then in logging camps and freelance catering, as well as some food photography. Sabrina veered away from the food industry for a few years and went into the healthcare field, but she knew she'd come back to food one day. She found herself needing a creative outlet, so she picked up a DSLR and started photographing food and nature. Then she was drawn to taking a WordPress blogging course and knew what her hobby would be. Sabrina decided to make blogging more than a hobby and has steadily increased her web traffic. She scheduled an SEO audit in late 2021 and now uses tools like Rank IQ and Key Search. You will find her writing a regular column in Edible Vancouver Island magazine. She's done lots of work for Sardo Foods, Katie's Hot Dilled Beans, and other freelance photography work. Her days are spent working half-time in a hospital and half-time blogging and writing while enjoying being a wife and mom. Hey, Sabrina, how are you today? Thank you for joining me. I'm good. Um, Super excited to be here. Thanks, Megan. Yes. Okay. Before we get into the topic and what you've learned from being a writer for a magazine and working with an editor, we want to know if you have a fun fact to share with us. I do. Uh, My fun fact is that from age 12 till 24, I deckhanded on a fish boat, usually my dad's, almost every summer. Oh and then, my gosh. and the summer before I went to cooking school, I decided I was going to try cooking and eating every kind of seafood that we caught at least once. <gasps> oh, that's so cool. Okay. What, do you have a favorite of all the things you tried? The favorites are probably things that mostly people are familiar with eating. Any of the weird things probably aren't popular because they're weird and not that great or really <laughs> small and really bony. <laughs> There's a reason they're not that popular. Yeah. So, man, I, I really love shellfish. Straight fresh out of the water is just like, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, when we got, you know, my brother and I used to eat the first prawn of the season, we would just ceremoniously eat it raw. 
Oh, okay. And yeah, just super sweet and fresh straight out of the ocean. Oh my gosh, I love that. There is, yeah, fresh seafood and especially shellfish. Oh, there is nothing like it. There isn't. If it's fresh, it's so good. Mm, yeah, I'm starving all of a sudden. That sounds so good. <laughs> well, I love learning that about you. That's so interesting. Definitely not one we've gotten before. And I love the topic that you brought to the table today. So what you've learned from being a writer for a magazine, and you're going to share all of your little nuggets with us. And I want to know personally, because you do have a food blog and you have this writing background. So how did those come together? Yeah. So my blog did start out as my hobby and the magazine reached out to me after, I guess I'd probably been blogging for about a year the owner and editor reached out and we kind of talked back and forth, got to know each other a little bit. And then within a few months, then she asked me to write and it worked into a good relationship. And I've been writing the In the Garden column ever since, which is right up my alley. So my food blog was based on my my garden, which originally was a front lawn and I ripped it up and made it an edible garden. And so along with um, a garden thing, I also do a recipe and the photographs for that for each issue of the magazine. Oh, that's so cool. So does your column reflect what you write on your blog or do you write about completely different things? They do have overlap. I am more garden focused in the magazine. It's the Edible Vancouver Island magazine. And I don't have to worry about SEO so much with the magazine. Whereas for my blog, obviously, I really focus a lot more on SEO and more on search volumes. Whereas with the uh, magazine, they'll give me usually an assignment. Sometimes they'll ask me to brainstorm and I'll come up with a few and then they'll pick what they like out of what I've come up with. But yeah, they definitely are closely related, both kind of healthy fruits, veggies, local recipes and gardening things. Nice. And then you are you on Vancouver Island? Is that what you just said? Yeah. Do you know Olina? Are you guys friends? I don't Olina? know. Which oh, blog? From iFood Real. I don't know her. She is a food blogger on Vancouver Island as well. So, okay. I, I do mean, know of a couple other ones here. Okay. It's not a common place that I hear. So I'm like, wait a second. Who is the other one? Heidi Richter, who has okay. um, The Simple Green. Okay. She also often writes for the magazine. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And then... Season and Serve blog as well is a girl out of Victoria that I know virtually online. Wow. So there's a handful there. Interesting. A couple. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So you, I love that story, how you kind of marry the two and that you have overlap and you definitely have a common theme with your blog content and your magazine content. So what lessons have you learned being a writer and working with an editor? I was nervous at first because although I wrote a bit as a kid, I really never had training in English. My schooling was in culinary arts. And so, yeah, I felt nervous. Like, am I really a writer? Imposter syndrome. I've heard other people talk about that before. But the lady that I worked with, her name was Julia Ovenel. She was amazing. She was so kind. We had quite a few phone meetings at first. And she really, the top thing she gave me that I took away with was start with who, what, where, why, and how as an outline. And if you can write your story or your article and include all the, or answer all those questions, then you'll end up with a nice cohesive article that kind of runs you through. So do you do that with everything you write? You go through the who, what, where, why, how? I do, although I used to actually write out those things 
and then that would form the bones sort of my Mm -hmm. um sections of my thing and now I do it a bit more organically because I'm so used to it sure so can you would you mind talking through a recipe post and how you do that run through all of those as an example Mm -hmm. okay so so a lot of this some of this can be in your intro and some of this is going to be later and this does not take the place of any SEO stuff either this is kind of like to help with it and to just give you a nice outline for your blog post so who would this recipe be good for? So pitch it to who you think your reader is. Is this going to be great for kids? Is this going to be great for somebody on a special diet? A lot of people mention, you know, keto diet or 100 mile diet, whatever it is, yeah. or someone who wants a luxury romantic dessert, that sort of thing. So that's your who. And when you think about that person, it makes it kind of easier to then maybe describe your recipe and make it appealing for that person. What it is, well, obviously your recipe and you can you know, we talk a lot about the recipe in there. So that's probably not too hard. (laughs) Yeah, where it can just simply be that it is in your kitchen, but it's fun to add, add in some details, like where might you enjoy this? This is a great picnic sandwich, it travels well, or this is a great barbecue thing, it will draw your friends and family in from the smell on the barbecue, that sort of thing. So adding in a, a where, you know, adds kind of a visual thing for people to visualize it even so they're thinking of the flavors. And now they're thinking about you know, I might be making this on a cozy day with a cup of tea, or I might be barbecuing this and having friends and family over. So they're visualizing your recipe a bit more. Do you have set H2s that you use for each of these? Like I'm trying to envision what the where H2 would be. I don't have an H2 for where. Usually I put that in either in my beginning bit when I'm trying to entice the reader into how great this recipe is and why they should make it. Or if there's more involved in it, like it has to be made outside on a fire or a barbecue or with a certain piece of equipment, I might put it in a little bit lower down there. Okay. So do you do the who, what, where, why all in the intro or does it just kind of depend? No, I thread this throughout. So it's kind of going through my first couple of paragraphs. Okay. So my first paragraph is very short and that will be mostly describing the recipe, but I'll try and if I can add in some of those things that would be appealing, I'll add some in. Okay. All right. So then go on to the why. Describe that one. Why can be, why will they like it? The reasons sort of some people put the, you know, top 10 reasons why you should make this fudge recipe or why this works for a crazy morning breakfast or, you know, so why, why should they make it? What are the benefits of it? Um, Whether, you know, it could be health benefits, flavor benefits, ease of preparation, any of those sort of things. Yeah. Our how, I think most of us know we should be doing our step-by-step photos. So that really, along with the, the photos and the description of how to make it is your how. How to do it. And I feel like this is one that we've we've all got nailed. <laughs> we all do this one pretty well. Yes, some of these are definitely easier. And I think some people are, a lot of people are probably doing this. But for newer writers who are maybe feeling stuck, like, how do I get a whole blog post out? talking about this, it can kind of help walk you through the things that you're supposed to cover. And I imagine that sometimes you like not all of these apply, right? Or That's right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, sometimes really there's not aware. You're just in your kitchen. You're going to make dinner for your family. Right. So you don't have to force it in if it's not applicable. Yeah. In, in some of my tips, I have mentioned keeping it short. We don't want to get overly wordy just for stuffing words in. Right. Okay. So you start, this is kind of like the bone, the backbone of your post. You try to go through as many of these as you can. Do some tend to be longer than others, some sections? 
Yeah, I mean, the how-to, definitely. I mean, you need to be descriptive. And the, the more complicated the recipe is or longer, the more there's going to be in that area. And I think that the who and the where are often you know, don't need to be that long. Sure. Yeah, but that is interesting. I never think of, so I'm trying to think what, like, I don't intentionally do this, but unintentionally, which ones I leave out. And that would probably be the who and the where. I'm pretty good at the how, what, and why. I leave the where out often, but I really like the who because it really helps you think who is my target Mm. reader. Yeah. I am going to be using this. This is this is interesting. Good food for thought here. Okay, so what else about, do you have anything else to cover with the who, what, where, why, and how? Well, I think that those are sort of the basics, but then I have a few other things that I add in to support that. So being descriptive, but keeping it short. We just I just mentioned not being overly wordy for the sake of it. But being descriptive does help people visualize it. They aren't there tasting it. So you'll want to describe it using taste, but also situations you might have it. Why? I guess this comes back to the where, but, you know, that picnic sandwich, the cool breeze as you're sipping on a cocktail, the sound of the bubbles fizzing in the champagne cocktail that you're making. Mm. So maybe some sounds or the ambience around what it is that you're making. Is it festive? Is it is it relaxing? Is it exciting? Is it, you know, kid party? What's the sort of the vibe? So senses, thinking through some of those senses that can relate, people can relate to, right? The vibe, Mm -hmm. I like that too. Like, what's the vibe? Yeah, I'm trying to get better at that. I don't always feel I'm the best at it, but I am working towards being better and better at that. (laughs) Yes, yes, aren't we all? I feel like we're writing is a work in progress for almost all of us all the time, Yeah, myself included, after many years of writing. Goodness, yeah, I'm always like, you can always be upping my game with this. Yeah, yeah. Okay, how, what else should we be thinking through? So to complete your topic, it's important to add supporting materials. And whether that's for the magazine or for the blog, we're going to add any links that we need to books or subjects that a reader might want to further explore. So, you know, this comes down to the EAT, which is now EEAT guidelines. You want to be authoritative. You want to show that you've researched this. This isn't just coming out of thin air. And again, this may not always be applicable if you're making a basic recipe that people have made lots of versions of. But whenever you're talking about something that is maybe a bit more unusual or less common, it's great to either add some more information yourself or links to where they can get more information or books. You can try to answer as many questions as you can think of that are applicable, of course, geared to this, in your FAQ section. And Casey, when I had my blog audit with Casey Markey, he found my FAQ section was getting a bit lengthy and cumbersome in my blog. So he recommended that I use the Turn Yoast SEO FAQ block to accordion plugin. So if anyone's in the boat where they... I I like doing the FAQ section often, like some of them I don't find a lot, but when I do, sometimes it's like, oh, there's a lot of questions and I know the answers to these. Yeah, that just shortens it up, makes it tidy. People can see the question and if they want the answer, they just click on it, but it keeps your your blog post nice and tidy. Neat. Yeah, the the accordion feature is amazing. I love blogs that use it. I don't, but it just looks, it looks neat. Yeah. 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 So I, I trust a lot in what Casey Markey has told me. So I was happy to do that when he suggested it. Yeah. That's great. And then how many questions do you typically answer in your FAQ? Does it vary depending on the topic? It does. If, if I'm going to do an FAQ section, I like to have at least or about three questions. I feel like if I only have two, well, I may as well put that in a paragraph. 
But, you know, I think I've gone as much as eight or 10. And that's probably why he suggested I have <laughs> yeah. that accordion. Yeah. Because, yeah, eight or 10 is getting a bit long. But there is the odd post where it warrants those questions, you know, about something unusual. Hello there, food bloggers. I had so much fun listing out my favorite features of Rank IQ in a previous episode, so I'm going to continue that thread. Here are some additional things I am loving about my favorite keyword research tool, Rank IQ. One, when sorting through the large database of keywords, there is a little orange plus sign next to each phrase. When you click that plus sign, that keyword gets added to your own personal keyword library for easy access later. Two, you don't have to find a keyword in the tool in order to run it through the optimizer. I didn't know this for a while and I loved it when I figured it out. A report can be run on any keyword, even if it's not in the library, and the optimizer in Rank IQ is the best optimizer ever. No questions, hands down, seriously the best. Three, there is new functionality in the tool which makes finding the best keywords so easy. You can filter by multiple keywords, competition score, time to rank score, visits per year, and you can also exclude certain keywords and sort by the type of keyword. Number four, all of your optimized reports are saved on your home screen and you are able to archive reports that you are done with. Go to rankiq.com to create your own list of favorite parts of the tool. Now back to the episode. What else for supporting materials? So that would include like step-by-step photos, the FAQs, what else? Yeah, and any books or blog links or um, website links. Yeah. Yeah. And then do you have a limit? I'm just curious about this for the number of times you link out of a post. You know, I don't. And that was a question I recently asked in Food Blogger Central. Yeah. Is there a limit? Is there an ideal amount? I don't know. I try and just keep them really relevant. I try to use them only when they are relevant so that they're helpful. Yeah. I know I've heard different things. I'm not really sure what the quote right answer is or if there is one even. But I just heard like, you don't want too many. You definitely want one. I mean, those are the types of questions I feel like evolve over the years. So yeah, in the magazine, (laughs) we get a little sidebar and we can put, you know, all our little, you know, extra little bits there. So I think that, you know, I would think up to at least five should be safe as long as they're really relevant to what you're writing about. Yeah. And then if you are writing a post that has a lot of like information in it, as opposed to just presenting a recipe, Mm -hmm. do you do research? Absolutely. I would rarely take on a project that I knew nothing about. Although for the magazine I have before, because they asked me, absolutely. I do a lot of research. I really enjoy that part. So for for me, I'm actually starting to do more article type posts on my blog because I've realized how much I like them. And that's not for everyone, but fact checking is really important. Um, It's important for the magazine because it's going to be out there and they can't go in and quickly Mm. change something once it's gone to print. So I try really hard to go over that. It goes to the um, to the editor and then she'll send it back with any suggestions or anything she's caught. And then it goes back again. And I think she probably reads it again before, you know, the final final thing. How do you ensure your accuracy? Do you just have resources that you know that you trust or? So government websites are good if you're looking for fact-based things. And for gardening, there's a lot of government-based websites that I go to. Sorry, I can't tell you them right off the top of my head. Some of them are, you know, just like American government. Some are Canadian government. Some are more um, state or province based. I have a lot of books at home and I generally trust the books that have been published. 
Yeah. And then other internet research, but you know, I won't just take one answer. I will double check through a more reputable site if say I've only found it through some tiny little website. Right. And we are so knowledgeable about our specific niches typically. So I think leaning on our intuition a little bit too, if you find something that's like this lasts in the fridge for 20 days and you know, that's (laughs) not true, then just like leaning into what you already know to validate what you're putting out there. I recently played around with the AI because I've been talking mm. about it on all the, the podcasts yeah. and, and different things. And when I first read the article that I had put through this little free AI tester, at first I kind of was like, wow, that sounds quite readable. But as I went through, I realized not only was it quite repetitive, which I try and avoid in my writing, some of the facts were completely wrong. <laughs> yeah. It wrote it as if they were right, but they were not right. By any yeah. means. Sometimes they were completely opposite. So it's picked out these things. Yeah. So I think, yeah, human writers are really the best at doing the real research and, you know, verifying. If you're not sure about a fact, verify it in a few places first. Yes. And, and again, that's why I do really prefer writing about things that I know, whether it's the gardening or the the food. Yeah. I, I mean, if you've been listening to the podcast on AI, you've heard this too, the just controversy, not controversy, but worry in our field about writing or the AI tools taking over writing and making human writers obsolete. And I, I just keep thinking there's no way there's, there's absolutely no way that it could completely take over for humans because of that. Like some of the facts that come up are just not facts. They're just like, what, what? Where did I agree. That come from? That's I so can funny. See it, it can come up with a nice outline or a few ideas, yes. but you really have to vet what it's written. And I mean, yeah, it, in the repetitiveness too, I think some may be better than the free one that I tried, but yeah, some of them are, it's almost funny. Like a, it could be a fun drinking game or something. Just <laughs> <laughs> I have been using it for idea generation when I'm just at a loss. Like, yeah. I don't remember. I was, I had, I was trying to come up with something the other day that I just could not think about, and it generated a handful of ideas that sparked inspiration for me. But it wasn't like like I literally just used it as that. I think it can be really helpful, and I think that it can, if we use it to our advantage without relying on it as the final output. I think it could really speed our work along. Yeah, totally. I want to try using it the way you just said. I recently, this is a bit off topic, but I recently bought a small garden blog with the idea that I'll be able to repurpose my articles from the magazine because after three months I own them and Uh, I want to put them on my own website. So along with this website came a bunch of articles, but they're really not written that well. Yeah. (laughs) And so I was thinking of trying to take the article and put it into the AI and ask it to rewrite it better and see what happens. That is, it's fun to do that. I've been doing that with like really old blog posts that I wrote. I'll take a portion of it and say with chat GPT and just say like, rewrite this content with a different tone or with a more fun tone, more informative, you know, like you can tell it how to tone itself. So it's kind of fun to see how it generates things. Actually, I I tried a few Instagram posts that way because I've really put my um, social media on the back burner as I've been deciding to move forward more with my blog. Yeah. I just found it such a time suck. And I thought, you know, just to put in my description of my picture and let it spit out something funny is great. That's all I want to do is just, I want to keep a little presence there, but really I don't want to let it suck all my time. Right. No, I think that's a really smart way to use it. Okay. So you do believe in 
maybe using, utilizing AI as a source of inspiration, but not as a replacement for the human voice. Definitely not a replacement. And you need to really go through that with a fine tooth comb and make sure it's factual and helpful information before you use it. Because like I said, I do find that it's far from accurate often. Okay. And do you have any resources if somebody is looking to up their writing game, just in general, being a better, more thorough writer, what would you recommend for them? So probably the biggest helpful book that I read was The Recipe Writer's Handbook by Barbara Gibbs Osman and Jane Baker. I went to Culinary Institute of America once for a food styling course with Dolores Custer. And this, so in the end, she thought I would be better at recipe writing than food styling. She recommended this book and I really, really admired her. And so I bought this book and it's great. So I read it cover to cover. I still refer to it. It explains and shows how to write a proper recipe and the whys, if you want to know why. It gives a lot of standard spelling for lots of cooking words and cooking terms and standard measurements. I really recommend it for everyone, but especially if you're a newer blogger starting out and maybe you haven't written recipes before, it'll really help you hone down to getting accuracy and consistency in your recipes, um, which makes them good recipes. Awesome. Is that a lengthy read or... It's not really. It's not a very thick book. I mean, it might take you a few days, but you can also jump through to different paragraphs. Like now that I've read it, I'll just jump through to a certain spot and use it more as a reference book. So you don't need to read it cover to cover. Okay. And then, of course, we've all heard of We'll Write for Food by Diane Jacobs. She just republished a newer version. So I had read her original version and now I've bought the new one and it's fabulous. Is it? I haven't read that yet. I hear so many people talk about it though. I I really like it. She touches on so many different things and then her new one goes more into the blogging. But when she wrote the first one, she blogging wasn't a big thing. So there was just a small amount on that. Right. So Mm -hmm. the updated version is worth looking into. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And then I want to get your thoughts on this whole, like, I need to write as a robot because I'm writing <laughs> quotes for Google. And actually, I mean, it's for the user, but you know, you know, oh, this I whole know. Debate. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on it all of this? It is such a hard one. And it is important to add some of your own personality, I think. And I think most people would agree, but it is hard to find that line. So Try not to go too far off topic, but adding in some humor or your personality is great. Making your reader smile helps them get to know you and will draw them into maybe sign up for your email list or to um, keep coming back to your website. Something simple, just a small pun, a funny thing that could happen in your kitchen, a little anecdote or a quote that you love, whether it's funny or inspiring is perfect. So don't, you know, if you're not a funny person, something inspiring might be better. If you're super into the historical or science side of cooking or baking, you can add in a short historical note or scientific tidbit. The key is just to keep it short. You're not going to take over your post with this. You're just going to add a little bit here and there to show them that you are a person. That's such great advice. We get so into the SEO and the keyword researching that for me, it gets really hard to remember this, that I'm I'm a human, I'm writing as a human, that other people... Mm-hmm. You know, they understand that I'm human. I'm not a robot. So to sprinkle that into the writing has gotten lost recently. Yeah. So I need that reminder personally. I do too. I need to go back sometimes and remind myself because it is easy. You know, you're really trying to hit those those keywords. And even if you're passionate about re- the recipe, by the time you're finished trying to write it all out, sometimes 
that can feel a bit lost. <laughs> yeah, you have all these check boxes that you have to check off and at the end of the post it's like wait where is my personality in all of this <laughs> you have to like figure out how to squeeze it back in yeah but i think it is important yeah i do too i mean as a user myself as someone who reads blogs totally i love it when i can gather bits of information or personality from people as opposed to like just straight information it means so much mhm yeah the personal touch goes a long way okay what else what are we missing is there anything else that we need to know just based on stuff that you've learned from being a writer in so many different capacities i think we've covered it pretty well i'll just say the style of writing i like to do but this is probably really common with bloggers is i really like to write on the computer and i like to be able to cut and paste my sentences into different places to make them work the best they can and make the flow go Awesome. Okay, this is encouraging. I grabbed a few little tidbits from it that I'm going to carry forward into my own writing. So thank you for all of this information and for sharing everything that you've learned, Sabrina, on this topic. We really appreciate you. Thank you so much. I've appreciated so many of your podcasts and the other guests' information. So I hope that I can help a few other people. Absolutely. This is going to be super helpful. Do you have either a favorite quote or words of inspiration? I'm assuming as a writer, you do to leave us. I sure do. (laughs) I picked this one because I'm actually really shy and doing these kind of things is out of my comfort zone. Ah. So this is my quote. Life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. And that is by Anna Nin, which was one of my late brother's favorite writers. Oh, so today was a brave, bold move for you. So that Mm -hmm. is going to carry over into your life in good ways. I hope so. I think so. (laughs) Absolutely. Amazing. We'll put together a show notes page for you, Sabrina. And if you want to go look at those, you can go to eblogtalk.com forward slash Sabrina Curry. Curry is spelled C-U-R-R-I-E. Tell everyone where they can find you online, social media, all the good places. I'm at Sabrina Curry on Pinterest, but I call my blog West Coast Kitchen Garden. So on Facebook, I'm West Coast Kitchen Garden. And on Instagram, I'm WC Kitchen Garden. Awesome. Go check Sabrina out, everyone. Thanks again so much for being here. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Eat Blog Talk. Don't forget to head to forum.eatblogtalk.com to join our free discussion forum and connect with and learn from like-minded peers. I will see you next time.